Welcome to episode four of the Crane Cares Community Podcast. I'm Michael Hostetler, Vice President of Marketing for Crane Credit Union. Joining us on the podcast today is United States Representative Jim Baird, Indiana's representative from the 4th District. Congressman Baird is a Vietnam veteran and was recognized with a Bronze Star and two Purple Hearts. He holds a Bachelor's and Master's of Science from Purdue University and a doctoral degree from the University of Kentucky. Baird was elected to Congress in 2018 after serving eight years in the Indiana General Assembly. Congressman Baird and I discussed how his military service relates to his current role in Congress, how science and agriculture affect policymaking, and the latest on COVID-19 relief. Enjoy. Congressman Baird, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Michael, for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you and to be with your listeners. I had a great chance to review uh, some of your biography on the uh, congressional website and some other places on the, uh, on the Internet, and, and I was really impressed by uh, the service that you, uh, you've given to our country and the sacrifices you've made. And, and uh, as we talked earlier, you know, the Crane Credit Union still has uh, a big part of our history is our military heritage and association with Crane Base and Indiana veterans. So I wanted to start by by thanking you for your service as a as an Army veteran and um, and now a U.S. congressman. So we really appreciate your time today. And and I was surprised to find out that you you went to Turkey Run High School in Marshall, which is right uh, right where a lot of our members reside. Is that right? Yes, I did. <laughs> Turkey Run High School. And there's a Turkey Run Park is uh, nearby. And uh, I I think the history will tell you that Turkey Run got its name because of some of those ravines. Uh, they used to chase the turkeys up those ravines, uh, the Native Americans and maybe others, in order to, uh, you know, obtain food. So I think I'm telling you right about that. But anyways, Turkey Run State Park, yes. And uh, and a Purdue graduate and a PhD from the University of Kentucky, so well uh, well versed in in, mid, in the Midwest and uh, the people around here, and a farmer, a small business owner uh, from Putnam County, and and uh, a, a relatively new congressman, uh, I, I would say from your biography, as most of your time was spent in the uh, Indiana General Assembly. Yes. Spent one term as a county commissioner, and then I spent eight years in Indiana, or four terms, in the Indiana General Assembly as a state representative, yes. And covered a similar area to what I cover in Congress now. So uh, I really like the, uh, I really like, Michael, the work ethic, the common sense. Uh, I just really enjoy the people of of Indiana and, and that West Central Indiana. And you and you touched on something else in that biography that I that I want to share with you, if I might, and that's the fact that I wouldn't trade my military experience for anything. Um, the the attention to detail uh, that I learned in the military, uh, the leadership skills that I learned there have proven very beneficial as I've done some of these other things in my life. And uh, I lost an arm in Vietnam. Uh, that gave me an opportunity to have compassion 
for for people that have uh, uh, different things in their lives. And so uh, bottom line was, though, I had a farm background and then I went right on in with the military. Uh, and I think that was uh, instrumental in helping me uh, be a better soldier, be a better person. And then the things that the military taught me uh, on how to push on through when things are tough, to stay focused on the mission, whatever that is. And then it really, it really uh, 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 added to the camaraderie uh, that you obtain when you've served with others uh, in the military. When you've, when you've been in a combat situation and you have to count on one another, uh, you really learn to read people, read people well. And uh, that bond uh, survives a lifetime. I could get on the phone sitting here right now and I could have people from all over the country uh, respond to me. Uh, so without belaboring that, I just want you to know that I've really uh, come to appreciate my military experience, my farm background and Purdue University experience as well. So th that military experience and, and you know, was really interesting to us just because of our heritage and serving members of the military, you know, specifically, how did that work uh, in the Army prepare you for public service? And ultimately, how did you find your way to the uh, to the United States Congress? You know, that's a good question, Michael, and that's kind of connected. But uh, but, you know, I, I had an uh, 11 Bravo, went through Fort Benning, Georgia for OCS. Uh, came out as a second lieutenant and uh, that experience and then the Vietnam experience in a combat situation and you really learn you have to function under pressure and there's some pressure associated with this job I have in Congress now but but you do need to function under pressure and you learn how to override uh, some of those uh, you know I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't uh, afraid at some points, but your training and the experiences that, that they gave you the opportunity to do in the military, uh, your training uh, superseded uh, the situation in a combat situation, and so you learned to focus on the mission. And so that has been useful to me in working with uh, the legislative processes, both at the state and at the federal level because um, you still have to stay focused there and not get distracted by some of these um, by some by some of the high profile issues that really have nothing to do with what you're trying to accomplish and so I'm trying to say that that military experiences have been beneficial to me to um, help stay focused and stay on mission and make sure we're accomplishing something for people that really does them some good Absolutely. And, and that leads me uh, to my next set of questions as we, we kind of fast forward to to today and the, the current issues in uh, in legislation and some of the issues that you're working on in Congress. And certainly an issue that we're seeing every day at the credit union as we serve our members and the questions that they have. And uh, my second question is, what type of consumer and business relief can our members expect to see uh, from Congress and the legislation that you're currently discussing? Well, we haven't reached a final agreement on this uh, this last go-round, but uh, I want you to 
I want to keep in mind too that uh, there's $211 billion of the PPP funds that have been approved. Uh, we have not utilized those yet. And so rather than get into the 1.9 trillion, I think we ought to uh, laser focus where this 211 billion goes. Make sure we get that on out there. The PPP program, I was thrilled to be a part and our team and our staff worked with uh, community banks and worked with the Small Business Administration to make sure we got that kind of uh, relief that we had approved in the hands of the people that needed it. I mean, I mean, you have to appreciate, and I know you have, because I know you had that discussion, as you just mentioned. But when you think about a, a restaurant or a, a small business, and all of a sudden, within a 24 or 48-hour period, they're closed down because of this coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So I, I really saw I really saw that some of the work we did in those rounds one, two, and three uh, for the the uh, PPP was very helpful. In fact, we've had we've had constituents express to us and or to me and my staff uh, on how useful and beneficial that was for them to be able to keep paying their employees, kind of keep them uh, nearby, so that it and when the opportunity arose to open back up, uh, they had access to those kind of people. So it was been it's a win win de win win deal. It kept it kept them able to not have to worry about uh, making payroll. Uh, it allowed those employees to be able to continue to function. And then it helped the country to keep our economy uh, moving along. So uh, all of that combined, I, I was glad we were able to do what we did. This current situation, um, the other side of what we're doing is the fact that we're creating a lot of debt. And so this 1.9 trillion, I think, bothers uh, some of us about how much money that is. And, and then, and then we, we start putting things in there that has nothing to do uh, with the COVID relief, a COVID relief bill. Uh, and those, those things talking about uh, the $15 minimum rates, um, uh, going through reconciliation, all of those issues really aren't impactful or related to the uh, COVID-19 situation that we're in. So I think we ought to use those $211 billion, focus that to help those, those uh, small businesses where we can and laser target that benefit. Uh, and then... Um, See if see if there's anything else we need after we've done that, rather than throw another 1.9 trillion dollars out there. One of the areas that I saw that you were working on, and I thought it was a very interesting tie-in with with your um, history as a farmer and working in in the ag sector, um, the coronavirus food assistance program. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about your work on that? Absolutely. I, uh, you know. Uh, we were excited about that program too because it was kind of uh, in conjunction. No, I don't want to say conjunction with, but it paralleled uh, the PPP program, and so CFAP, as we call it, really helped farmers survive during this period of time. And that's one of the things the uh, coronavirus really taught us is how disruptions in our food supply chain are very, very impactful, and uh, so. Uh, we worked with uh, slaughterhouses that had trouble. We got two of those in our district, in Congressional District 4. We had we had the supply of animals to run through those facilities. The facilities were all ready to go, but we could not 
keep employees on the line because of this coronavirus. So, so uh, having having the uh, attitude to want to get that done and resolved uh, was very important. But another part of the program is the is the is the ability to take the supplies and foods that some of these agriculture uh, industries industries produce. I'm talking about farmers and ranchers, and many of us saw uh, on the television we had specialty crops in Florida that the farmers were plowing under because they couldn't get them in the hands of people that needed them. Mm -hmm. uh, we had milk producers that was pouring milk out on the ground. Uh, we had uh, animal producers, meat animal people that were euthanizing their animals because they couldn't uh, get them slaughtered. And so the, the program that distributes those commodities and the U.S. Department of Agriculture had the ability to buy uh, specialty crops, they had the ability to buy uh, milk products, and they had the ability to buy meat. And then through, then through Michael, the normal distribution chain, we got those to the, um, uh, the uh, food distribution centers, uh, food banks is what I'm trying to say there. Anyway, we could get those to the food banks, and you could you could package those as as fruits and vegetables, or you could get a package of milk products, or you could get a package of meat, uh, and then those people could could have access to those products. And so that was a win-win situation from the standpoint it it moved those commodities to places that needed them. It helped the people on that in that position from the standpoint of the produced farmer. You just have to appreciate the last thing a farmer wants to do when they put their heart and soul into making those products. Uh, no farmer would want to plow under a field of lettuce or a field of tomatoes. So, so building off that a little bit, you know, I, I know we previously talked about some of the uh, economic effects of the COVID pandemic, but again, with your unique background in the science community, and certainly as we see in, in Indiana, uh, vaccinations continue to increase. Uh, the uh, age eligibility just was lowered again to 65. Um, what is your outlook on on the pandemic for 2021 and uh, vaccine distribution? Well, I it, it is uh, it's really gratifying to see how fast that um, uh, Pfizer and Moderna got their products on the market, and then we've got another one from Johnson and Johnson that may come online. And so having access to those those uh, products and being able to get people vaccinated is going to be tremendous. And it really demonstrates our ability and our capability when we all work together to resolve a common issue. It really illustrates uh, patriotism, uh, the ability to work together and solve problems. And so you have to admire that kind of spirit and I don't think I've seen, uh, you know, I've read a lot about World War II and you think about how our country was committed to uh, doing what we did during that period. And I see a similar kind of uh, attitude in our people in being able to get through this coronavirus. So I want to talk a little bit about an issue that's that's really specific to the area surrounding Crane Base and some of the activities that uh, are becoming more prevalent uh, with the work that's done on base and even filtering down to 
the education initiatives at area schools. Um, and again, something very interesting I found when, when researching your background is, uh, is STEM education. And certainly, um, you know, Purdue is a, a well-known agricultural and engineering school. Um, and again, this is where your, your background and science degree really come in handy. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about some of that work that you're doing in, in expanding STEM education and, and how that might affect economic development in the future for the state? Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I got together very early in my last, in the 116th Congress, and um, uh, Haley Stevens, a Democrat from Michigan, and I got together, we put together a STEM bill uh, that, that encourage more young women to be involved in the science, te uh, technology, engineering, and mathematics fields. Uh, we have learned from from uh, experience that you can't just tell young people that we think we think you ought to study STEM. That doesn't sound very exciting. But when you can find areas that stimulate them and capitalize on their natural curiosity to get involved. The next thing you know, you've got a STEM student uh, and you didn't have to directly communicate that. They just do their natural curiosity. So we want to create the environments that encourage those young people, including young women, uh, to get involved in that kind of a profession and utilize their skills and talents because not only is it important to them and their, and their lifetime and their goals in life, it's important to the communities that they work in, and it's important to people uh, like the Crane Naval Base uh, and all the things that they do. And so, and then in addition to that, when you think about that tie-in, in addition to that, you start to realize that the only way we can stay competitive against a country like China, and I'm really not talking about the Chinese people, I'm talking about the Chinese Communist Party, who have decided they want to be a world leader or the world leader at whatever their circumstances, they might want to do it, uh, then that's how we stay competitive. If we can have bright young people that are excited about science and technology uh, and become engineers, not necessarily engineers, but work in the fields that are very stimulating and keeps us competitive on the world market. So we all benefit. The country benefits, uh, the communities benefit, Companies that are doing things in these various areas benefit and the student themselves benefit by getting uh, an opportunity to not only utilize their skills, but it's probably going to be financially rewarding to them as well. So we are a strong supporter of STEM research uh, and, and helping students uh, in, that, in that game. And then I think it's, I think, and you mentioned uh, Crane area. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the Rural STEM Education Act, that's a bill that will help foster natural curiosity and expand on the interest in STEM. And, uh, and we wanna try to help reduce any barriers that those children or students might face in accessing high quality STEM education. And, uh, and the bill prior prioritizes connecting rural and underserved students to broadband. And, and that's an area that I think is extremely important. And I've really, I've really enjoyed over the years uh, learning that uh, the Crane Naval Base 
uh, really is supportive of uh, the Indiana communities. They want uh, people to be involved there with them and whatever their mission may be. I was excited to learn back when the, you know, the USS Indiana, mm -hmm. the submarine, there was, there was what, Michael, there was a hundred and some small businesses in the state of Indiana that manufactured parts and pieces for that submarine. Uh, and then you'd look at the USS Indianapolis, uh, the battleship. So, so, um, that all ties together to help strengthen our community. So I just want to make sure that whatever we do here in Congress, uh, encourages that, that, that public private partnership and that we remove the barriers that might inhibit someone getting in that area. And in, and we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, we want to make sure we remove those barriers that inhibit small businesses and industry. 29% of Indiana's GDP comes from manufacturing. So it's important to us. It's important to our communities. And we want to make sure we're doing the things here in Washington that minimizes government, encourages and strengthens uh, the, our business communities and really uh, helps our young people uh, develop to their full potential. I think that's a great uh a great thing to end on, Congressman. I certainly know that uh, my eight-year-old uh, STEM is his favorite school activity, so glad to see that you're working on it and uh, that he'll have a, a lot of those opportunities in the future. And I've taken up more than enough of your time. I know you're you're very busy uh, representing the state and, and uh, especially during this uh, pandemic and all the uh, unanticipated issues that have arisen for that. And Thank you for your time and speaking to our members and listeners today. And uh, hope next time we get to do this in person. It was great to talk to you uh, over the web, but uh, can't wait to come visit you in D.C. We can't wait either, Michael. We look forward to that. Thank we, you, Congressman. We, Thank you for your time. You too. Thanks for what you do. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Crane Credit Union, visit us online at cranecu.org.